This is a HeadGum Podcast. While Andrew and Craig believe the joy of discovery is crucial to enjoying any well-told tale, they will not shy away from spoiling specific story beats when necessary. Plus, these are books you should have read by now. Welcome to Overdue. This is a podcast about the books that you have been meaning to read. My name is Craig. My name is Andrew. And we have two special guests. And I, usually I would just let them introduce themselves without any sort of like rhythmic uh, like introduction. And, and I would look dumb for just tossing it to them. Mm-hmm. But now I look dumb for talking too long. Yeah. So who else gonna say. <laughs> is on the podcast with us in no particular order? Introduce yourselves. In no particular order. <laughs> I am Camille. I'm Christina. <laughs> and together Thanks. we are the Unfriendly Black Hotties. So that you guys have a podcast that Andrew and I are both fans of. Uh, what is the elevator pitch for this podcast that you have? Oh, oh! I said it bad. You got. You're like, I, I, I didn't know elevator pitch was a bad phrase. Oh, that's dad. Midland. It is. Yeah, it's it's pretty dad. I don't know. We talk about higher ed and. Pop culture and whatever the hell else we feel like. True, true. What's the what's the most bizarre thing you've talked about on the show? Because higher ed is like it's bizarre, but like we expect it to be. What's a- an actual bizarre thing you've talked about on the show? I mean, I think Camille's drunk foods. Yeah, I was gonna say the most recent episode as we record this is the one that went up on June 29th, I think. Mm, um, you guys go on like a 15ish minute. <laughs> tear about a uh, drunk eating habits and it starts pretty tame but i'll just say i did not know that you could put imitation butter on that many things nor did i you know if you believe in yourself and read a lot of great books you can achieve buttery greatness buttery not actual butter because that's sure butter-esque greatness yeah. for legal reasons yes <laughs> andrew I, i'm reminded of the time that I came home and you, this is during college, I came home and you drunkenly informed me that you had eaten my garlic toast that was in the freezer. Oh, yeah, yeah. And, did and you cook whoa. it or did you just eat it? No, the journey between freezer and mouth was pretty short. <laughs> it was not long. I was not the only one who did it, but I think I was the only one who felt bad enough to tell you about it. Are we talking like a Texas toast? Yeah, yes. yeah, exactly Texas oh. toast, yep. That stuff is like gold. It really is. Andrew has gold, no scruples. Jerry. <laughs> uh, so we're here to talk about Nicholas Sparks's "A Walk to Remember." Yeah, right. Mm-hmm. That's that's what we're here to talk that's about. How it's pronounced? You made it French. I like that. Yeah, yeah. I, I'm trying. Um, thank you. Uh, before, On brand. Good job. Yeah. Before we dive into that book, and before we dive into Mis- Mr. Sparks himself. What do you guys like to read? Like, what are, what's, you know, what is your background as readers, fans of books? Because I think Andrew and I have kind of built up a dumb number of episodes where people can, like, see what we felt about stuff. And that certainly gives us a certain shorthand. How about you guys? I'm a, I'm a deep fan of a YA fantasy novel. Sure. Give me dragons. Give me unnecessary vowels in the middle of names. 
I'm here for that. <laughs> like too many Y's in the middle of a name. Yeah. Too many Y's. A lot of AEs. Do all that. Mm-hmm. Hit me with a just a apostrophe. Right in the <laughs> right in the middle. Lots of lots of fantasy worlds being placed in the hands of fifteen year olds for whatever reason. Yes, huh? because they're the only ones that know the yep. power. Yeah. The of... adults messed it all up, Andrew. They yeah, that's true. It. Um, so I do a lot of fantasy reading. Yeah, Camille. I like a dark world. Give me a dystopia. <laughs> Give me human suffering and like a wry wit. But you need it to get through the dark times. That's Ooh. that's what I like. Ooh. So Nicholas Sparks books then. <laughs> Low key kind of. Low key kind of Frondaloo. Yeah. It is have a dystopian I, world. It Have either of you read any Nicholas Sparks before? I have been exposed to the film of this book, A Walk to Remember, and many times over the film The Notebook. But I've never read a Nicholas Sparks joint. I have read a few, paged through a few, leafed through. She's read hundreds cover to cover, is what that means. <laughs> the man has only written 18 or something, so like, I haven't only, read all of them. Only 18. But I have, I've read a few, and I do read romance novels. Not as regularly as I read YA fantasy novels, but I do read. I like, I like a romance so as an established Nicholas Sparks scholar, then, like, T.Y., how, how would you say you feel about him and his, like, body of work? Because I know, like, usually, I guess we try to give authors the benefit of the doubt. Like, even E.L. James, we tried to give the benefit of the doubt. I don't know, like, where are we, where are we going to start with Nicholas Sparks here? It might be surprising to you that we, as the unfriendly black hotties, don't want to give a white heterosexual man, the benefit of the doubt? Sure it's don't. Fine. It's fine. But I, I mean, sure he don't. He has it most of the time, so. It is contrary to our function in the world, actually. Yeah, so. sure. Yeah, and uh, he's pretty trash. <laughs> so, that happens. <laughs> yeah, okay. <laughs> trash happens. What? Wait, so what about him in particular is garbage? Do we need to understand how he became garbage? Was he always... I feel like we're going into this a little hotter than usual, and that's okay, that's okay right? Yeah, that's fine. <laughs> oh, Andrew said it was okay. I just want to know, like, we were, because we were passing around that um, article in um, mm. in NYMAG from mm-hmm. from earlier in our email thread about just, I don't know, how his, his marriage split up, and also he's, like, kind of homophobic and not just a great dude. So is it, it mostly, is it mostly that that we're talking about when we're talking about how He's a garbage person. Is it that he's like the Thomas Kincaid of words? Like, what is the... Oh, boy. What a label. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, in having read, you know, at least three of his works, he... All of his problems can be solved by, like, the love of a good woman. Of course. Yep. Or, like, a neurotic woman can be fixed by, like, a strong, gentle man. That's kind of his vibe. Mm-hmm. Okay. Which is kind of gross, um, along with the racist, sexist, and also homophobic. That was very nice to add to the world. Um, <laughs> so I, we're, I mean, we're talking specifically about the whole deal with the like college he started yeah. with his wife, 
Okay, do you guys want to talk about a little bit about that? Because I I found it today and was a little blown away by it. Um, the Epiphany School of Global Studies. Yeah, sounds legit. The made up sounds- school of learning fake shit. I think <laughs> is the proper name. Yes, I think that's closely. its Christian name. You know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because it was founded by him and his wife mm-hmm. as a like Christian focused college prep school. Yes. In North Carolina. Which he of loves. All places. He does love North Carolina, doesn't he? Like every book is set in North Carolina. I've been there a couple of times as like a kid. It was okay. We went to the beach, but I don't know much more about it than that. Other than the news. Susanna's okay. from North Carolina and whenever we go down there, she's always like pointing out all the like the road names that are named after like slave owners and stuff. It's really, cool. it's, it's like you've got like Chapel Hill, which is where she's from, which is very like liberal and, and whatever. But there's also like a bunch of really deep seated racist stuff that's just kind of left over just sitting around. So it's a, it's a weird kind of uncomfortable merge merging of a couple different things. And I don't know if that like comes up in Nicholas Sparks's books or if that's just like not a thing he thinks about that much. I'm willing to bet it's probably the second one, right? Yeah, it's the latter. He just doesn't think about that. <laughs> I was going to say, like, CT, do you think Nicholas Sparks knows like about black people? Like, oh, sure doesn't. Is that, that, yeah. that like that they exist at all in yeah, the I world? Think so. He might have met like one magical Negro in his life who like okay. was also a janitor but told him how to live and love fully. Sure, like a Morgan Freeman type yeah. character. Mm-hmm. But I think maybe that's... like a soft older woman made him like a hoe cake, like mm. once upon a time, like once upon a December, maybe. <laughs> Anastasia reference, nice, nice. <laughs> Classic. Why? Well, oh, yeah. yeah, the the whole thing with this school, right, was that he founded the school with his wife, who he is now divorced from, mm-hmm. which is like the man who wrote all the romance novels getting divorced is like, I, I was saying to Andrew earlier, it's like Paula Dean got diabetes and everyone's like, what? You made all this food. You made all this love. How could you lie to me? How could you be so wrong? How, How could the butter betray happen? us? <laughs> <laughs> uh, and if she'd then, been using a butter-like substance, it never would have happened. Just it sure wouldn't have. It sure would have faster. So then he hired this guy, Saul Hill Benjamin, to mm-hmm. be his headmaster because apparently... The school was like a little too conservative for even Mr. Sparks, and he wanted to change things up. And then the board was like, we don't like this guy. He keeps using the word inclusive and Islam and gay as yes. in like people we should treat well. Yeah. And it like says, says something about like they, they basically held him hostage in an office trying to convince him to stop. Yeah. There was also allegations that he sought to block the recruitment of black students and teachers, supported bullying of LGBT students. It's a bad vibe. Yeah, accused this man of having Alzheimer's. Very bizarre stuff. And I I don't know, actually, I wasn't able to find anything about how the lawsuit ended, if it has, um, because Benjamin was then let go or fired or whatever you want to call it. So the um, and then- only thing I found was that his attorney, Nicholas Sparks' attorney, who is, uh, as he says, a gay Jewish man, sure, who has represented Nick for almost 20 years, he finds these allegations completely ludicrous and offensive. 
Okay. So that, and I think that was the end of it. Like he just cool. denied so he, it. Like the I have, I have, I've known Jewish people my entire life, so obviously these. I know one guy who's true. gay yeah. and Jewish. Right. So I'm kind of clear. So I'm clear. Old, old Ivanka's dad defense. <laughs> Classic. <laughs> Before coming across this stuff, what else? If anything, did you guys know about Nicholas Sparks himself? Like, I was surprised to find that he used to sell pharmaceuticals and then wrote the notebook based on his wife's grandparents and then got a million-dollar advance at the age of 28, which just, I wanted to just crawl in a hole and die about that. And now he, like, has a production company and has, you know, made 20 films or TV and whatever in addition to all of his books. Anything else? No. <laughs> yeah, I went in. <laughs> sure good. didn't. So I went into this completely cold. I hadn't cool. read any Nicholas Sparks. Now I've read the one. I feel confident saying I'm set for a while. Yeah, okay. Um, just spoiler alert. Um, and everything that I learned about Nicholas Sparks post reading A Walk to Remember okay. really makes a lot of sense. Okay. The the dots are connecting for me. Interesting. So it's not a thing where you're surprised about the author based on what was in the book. It's a thing where the stuff you're finding out about him is completely supported by the stuff that's in the book. Mm-hmm. Right. Yep. It's like, yes, right. yes, you cool. are that garbage person. That seems right. Yeah. <laughs> I will say his latest, maybe it's not his latest, written his one of his most recent books, The Longest Ride, about barrel racing and the ranch cowboys. There was a protagonist who was a Jew, which in retrospect is entertaining. <laughs> because it's after the allegations came out about the school. And he uh. clearly wrote this person to be like, no, I get it. I know Jews. But it's just feeding into the same fucking stereotypes. It's, oh boy. So no, none of this is surprising. (laughs) Okay. Okay. So let's, I guess let's just dive into the book and, and along the way, one of the questions that I will probably want to return to later just to ask how you both reacted to the novel is like, why do people like these books? What mm-hmm. what about them is appealing, even if the person who wrote them has since proven himself to be a mess? You know? <laughs> yeah. Uh, I do and, care. And, yeah. And, and, and how do we go from there? But, like, what is this book about, even? Because that, that'll shape the rest of our conversation today. Man, what a question. So, (laughs) Walk to Remember is a time travel story. That's the first thing you need to know. Interesting. I was not expecting a sci-fi wrong. Now, is it a Rachel McAdams time travel story? Because that's like a whole... Rachel McAdams time travel stories are like a whole genre on Netflix. Or is that... (laughs) I'm making such a face. Is that a thing? I didn't know. Yeah, what are you talking about? Yeah, the time traveler's wife. And about time, yeah. and at least one or two others that okay. I would love to go watch right now. Hmm. About time was great. It's a great movie. 
I'll say that. Thank you. (laughs) Anyway. So, Walk to Remember is a time travel story in the sense that we get this protagonist, one Landon Carter. Landon is 57 years old at the start of the book, and he's telling us a story of his 17-year-old self and the love affair that he had, but instead of doing it like a regular flashback way, it... I don't know. I felt like the pages of the book got all warpy and weird, and it was just like, and now we're going back in time. <laughs> <laughs> so is this is this in the prologue of the book? It sure is. This is in the prologue. Which but just the I way had, it was written was bizarre. Yeah, I had read mm-hmm. that he wrote that after he wrote the rest of the novel. I read that as well, and I was like, yeah, I can see it. Because it doesn't. the prologue doesn't feel like the rest of the book. Okay. Not that the rest of the book feels particularly cohesive. But sure, the prologue feels off and space traveling feels very different from the rest of the book. Mm-hmm. Um, and when we get to the rest of the book, it doesn't get better. It okay. just gets less badly written in that specific way. It's <laughs> um, <laughs> good to know he's got like a lot of range as an author. Like he can write poorly in. Lots he has of the range yeah. of a bad author. Mm-hmm. Yes. <laughs> Okay. Oh, but, bef- okay. but before we get to the meat of the book, he warns us, 57-year-old Landon Carter warns us that first you will smile and then you will cry. Oh, no. But don't say you haven't been warned because I just did. Literally in the book. <laughs> is that, that's like, that's like, don't at me. That is like your favorite. Don't at me. You will cry. It's fine. Yeah. Pretty much. Well, appar- apparently Nicholas Sparks cried while writing the book, so there you go. He has said that multiple times. I mean, you imagine his editor? He just get, gets all these manuscripts with all these like dried tears all over him all the time because he's just like crying at his own genius, like constantly. He was, I mean, he was Ugh. writing a, a, <laughs> a so sensibly. The book is about also like based on his sister who died. Yes, his sister died at thirty-three. Of a brain like tumor? A ye- yeah, a year after the book was published or so. So there, that's woven into it. And like, yeah, let's get in the book because that, that'll explain why that connection's there. So, sure. all right, we're, we're time traveling. The year is 1958 for some reason. And Landon Carter is a 17-year-old bad boy in the small Mm. town of Beaufort, North Carolina. Um, And we know he's a bad boy because he eats boiled peanuts in the graveyard at midnight sometimes. (laughs) I hate it when they do that. Come on. I can't tell you how many times he references that as like, I was a bad, (laughs) troubled youth. It was bad. I was out eating peanuts. Slamming peanuts in the graveyard. (laughs) But it's also really careful to be like, I never destroyed or disturbed a grave. I respect (laughs) for the dead. But I was a badass. Eating peanuts. Just those peanuts. I just just treated the graveyard like my own Outback Steakhouse. It's fine. (laughs) Could I get a bloomin' onion? Yeah, if it were written in the late 90s or, or early aughts, he would have been eating blooming onions in the graveyard. That's true. Okay, so he's a bad boy. 
He's a bad boy. He's got a troubled relationship with his dad. Mm-hmm. His dad is a congressman. Mm. So he lives in Washington. Comes mm-hmm. home every now and then. Okay. Doesn't oh. approve of the graveyard peanut eating situation, I Papa assume. doesn't know about the graveyard peanut eating? Because he's never okay. there? That All makes right. him an dad. extra bad boy. Yeah, yeah. His mom seems fine. But as is a, <laughs> a trait throughout the book, women are not the point. <laughs> I was gonna, I was gonna no. say, seems fine is a great compliment. To, he describes to her. his mother as sweet. Ooh, like three times. Like that's her Ooh. defining characteristic. Okay. Ooh. Okay. It's pretty bleak. I mean, it's the fifties. We don't really need to worry about women yet. So it's like it passes. It passes the test for me personally. <laughs> <laughs> it's being true to the time period. The Cunningham test. Yeah. <laughs> Does one woman exist in it, and does she not talk to anybody about anything? That's what that's the Cunningham test. This book passes with flying colors. Yeah. <laughs> no, just one, just one color at mm-hmm. at all times. Ooh, I um, see what you did there. Like a peanut, like the peanut shade of brown, specifically that what color. What are you saying? I yeah, I think white. I was saying white people, mm-hmm. but there's a similar sort of beigey. Like anyway. a circus peanut? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> I'm gonna be over here. I'm going to this great I'm going to the graveyard now. I'm just gonna go to sleep in the graveyard now. I'll join you guys at the end of the podcast. This is going mm-hmm. great. Mm-hmm. Can't wait. Can't wait. All right. All right. So Landon is the son of a congressman and his pushy political show dad is like lands. <laughs> You need to be class pres, like totes for sure. And he's like, Dad, I don't wanna. And then his dad's like, But you gotta. And then he's like, Okay, word. So he enlists the help of his friend Eric, who is a quote, stud. Whoa. Right? Is that a word we use anymore? I mean, it's the 50s, but do we use that word anymore now? Only on the internet. Cool, great. All right. And only for something very specific. (laughs) (laughs) That's true. (laughs) I've been to those sites. We know. All right. (laughs) So Landon gets roped into this, I guess, necessary run for class president. And he figures it's going to be pretty easy to win because his competitors are uh, Maggie Brown who's hefty, so nobody was going to vote for her. Again, basically verbatim from the book. Mm -hmm. Um, And John Foreman, who I think was just like a nothing nerd. Yeah. Right? He was smart. I think that was his, like, characteristic. Like, oh, John's smart, and Maggie's hefty. So I got this in the bag. (laughs) So, surprise, surprise, he wins this election with the help of his friend the stud. But wait... If you're class prez, that means you have to go to some high school dance with a date, and that's like a rule. Like, that's like one of your official functions, is you have to attend a dance specifically with a date of the opposite gender. Okay. Oh. Well, it's the, okay. It's the 50s. Welcome to okay. the 50s. Is it like a sock hop? Is it a homecoming dance? Is it a... It is none of the above. 
Okay. It is just a dance. Mm-hmm. Okay. But it's but it's clear he has to he has to go. He, he spends some go. time with his yearbook going through all of the eligible women in his oh, class. God. Just which... swiping right, just swiping right. Okay. <laughs> his yearbook of Tinder. Mm-hmm. <laughs> wherein he lights upon Jamie who is fine looking and has a weird dad who is the reverend of the town. Okay. But wait, but we should talk about what Jamie looks like, right? Because he makes a big deal out of like how she has her hair in a bun all the time and how that. He's so mad about that. Yeah, and just like this bun is really getting in the way of this dude's boner. Like he's just like not here for this bun like at all. And he's like, she doesn't put any concealer on. Her hair is just oh, like what? brown. You know, like I mean, they're setting us up for like a she's all that thing where she takes her bun down at the end of the book and she was beautiful all along. And I'm assuming that's what happens. Well, oh, friend, you would be right. <laughs> OK, great. Good. Now, has he met like have we the reader met her before he is a- attempting to swipe right on her face? But maybe not. Not really. No. OK, we have met her in the the way that we've talked about the town because her dad sure. is the reverend. And he is like the big old guy that yells about all the kids for fornicating or whatever you do in the 60s. <laughs> okay. But, and it's just like, oh, he has a daughter, Jamie, who I've gone to school with. Everybody makes fun of her. She carries a Bible around. She's a weirdo. Yeah, she would okay. help a wounded possum. She's a fucking apple polisher. She's steady in that Bible. <laughs> that's, that's who Jamie Sullivan is. But he... Huh? He being Nicholas Sparks never actually shows us that. He is the yeah. king of a tell and not show, is what I'm saying. Uh, sure. Yeah, he sounds like that yeah. so far. Yeah, the only reason you know things about characters in Nicholas Sparks novels is because they tell you. Like very blatantly. Like I love they tell you how God like, sweet they are. And helping people. Yeah. Cool. So that's okay. So do we like Landon? Are we supposed to? I don't think so. He sounds like a weirdo. <laughs> he sounds like he's constructed this universe in which he is a cool loner, but actually he's a weird graveyard peanut eater. So yeah. what's his name? What's his name from the Breakfast Club? What's his face? Ted the Nelson? Est- the yeah, Estevez exactly. brother? Yeah. No, not the Estevez No, that brother. one's the, the other one. Judd Nelson. Judd Nelson. Yeah. There Nailed it, guys. Nailed it. Got, Got him, too. <laughs> That's... It's a three-par question. Um, well, it's okay. also hard because when you're reading this, Langdon talking about his life, you can tell you can tell that he thinks that he's like the coolest teen. Mm. Well, all, all teen all teens think that though, right? I did not think that. <laughs> I, was... I was under no illusions <laughs> in that particular department. I, know. I hated everyone, myself included. I knew mm. how terrible I was. That was bad. Yeah, you know from anything. All right. Well. How we're supposed to feel about Langdon. Okay. In the beginning, sure. at least. I think you're supposed to be kind of like, oh, what a guy of potential, you know? He's just mm. dashing it along with the shells of his boiled peanuts on these graves. <laughs> but he has potential. So you can root for him in the long haul. Sure. 
Is Sparks just kind of doing that thing where because the character is the protagonist, like we're supposed to know that we have to yep. root for him? Yeah, basically. But he doesn't like do any Classic of the work. Sparks. Okay, cool. Super lazy writing. Yeah. That's kind of the hallmark of a Nicholas okay. Sparks novel mm. based on my extensive experience of this one 125-page book. Okay. Um. <laughs> and, and neither of you have seen the Mandy Moore film, or you both have? No, Whoa. we didn't say that. Whoa. Oh. Whoa. <laughs> Okay. Whoa. This is a this is a podcast about books, but everybody <laughs> just watch this movie. <laughs> Don't read this book. <laughs> okay. Is it is it Emil Hirsch who's in this film? Who's that boy? Shane West. That's a different boy. Okay, great. It sure is. Okay. This uh, is bad sure. boy Shane West. Right. And they actually add more plot in the movie, which is hilarious. <laughs> Sure ain't a plot this is slim book. pickens slimmest right. of pickens um right. mandy mm-hmm. moore plays jamie yeah. in the movie and the bad boy's mother is played by one daryl hannah who i just stared at for so oh, long man. i was like is that is that daryl H- hannah yeah views wow. from the yikes <laughs> no thank you hard to recognize so, a box braid on her so so book lando is picking oh, this yes. girl is so he picking is he picking her for the dance? dance obviously he has to take jamie sullivan because all the hot girls are taken there's a little subplot where he is concerned that someone else is going to ask jamie so he's like running to her house to ask her before this other nerd a- asks her whatever they go to the dance she like saves him from a fight or something <laughs> Oh, right, because they end up cleaning up his ex-girlfriend's puke in the bathroom. She yeah. got too drunk because she brought her new boyfriend, who's like 20 and works at the me- like mechanics shop. Mm-hmm. He's, a, ba- he's uh-huh. a real bad guy. He's like next level graveyard. <laughs> <laughs> he's eating peanut chews in the graveyard. Like he's right. going, all right. He's going walnut. He's going walnut oh, in the graveyard. Oh, man. So yeah. he spiked the punch at the dance. And got his ex, and Langdon's girlfriend got ex, like very drunk, and then ended up vomiting. And Jamie, because she is so good and pure of heart, decided that they had to take her home and clean up the bathroom. So they're all covered in puke, driving mm-hmm. home with his ex girlfriend. <laughs> really Happened to all of us. It's fine. Yeah. For some prime romance. Yeah. So that's the start of their relationship. Uh. Great. Okay. Cool. Yeah. So this sets up a dynamic in which Landon owes Miss Goody Goody a favor. And she chooses to collect on this favor by asking him to audition for the lead in the Christmas play, which is called The Christmas Angel, I believe. Yes. Which her father, the Reverend, is to take a rewrite of that one, that one Christmas one. (laughs) Which one? Guys. The one with the one with the three ghosts. Yeah. The one. Oh, the Christmas not a Christmas story. Christmas story is something. The Christmas, Christmas story Carol. is the gun and Santa and the slide and the you'll shoot your eye out. I <sighs> would watch that play though. I wouldn't. I, w- I would watch boring. a high school production play version of the Christmas of a Christmas. Story. There's a musical you can go watch. It's the Christmas it. Carol. Mm-hmm. Okay, sure. Which her ultra religious father decided to rewrite because ghosts were bad. And it should have been angels. No, but isn't it also that it's 
like a really transparent autobiography of oh, his yeah. own life. Yeah. Yes. It's two things can be true. Wait, he okay. was visited by ghosts? So the story of the Sullivan family. <laughs> oh, no. Yeah, I was going to ask, what's that all about? Oh, just you wait. Great. So Minister Sullivan, oh, my God, whose first name is Hegbert. <laughs> Hegbert. Can Bert we even Hague. keep talking about him? Like, does he, can he just leave now? There's an extended, like, two and a half pages where Langdon's just like, oh, as kids, we just make fun of that guy. His name was Hangbert. <laughs> and that was the this only the time one... I ever agreed with Langdon. <laughs> yep, yep, I was just gonna say, this is like the one time when I'm like, okay, yeah, I'm with you. It's like, yeah. Anyway. I, don't need to eat, I don't need to eat peanuts with you, but let's get together and bash on Hegbert. I'm down. Down to clown. (laughs) (laughs) So once upon a time, Hegbert was married to this like nice lady who was like Jamie's mom or whatever. And then she like has Jamie, but like dies having Jamie. And he is like real sad about it because that's like, like death is like sad. (laughs) The play that he writes is basically that. And like... So not a Christmas Carol is what you're saying. But he uses a Christmas Carol to be like, we need to, we need a Christmas play, but it can't be a Christmas Carol because that guy did not know Jesus in the way that he should have known Jesus. Because if he knew Jesus, angels would have visited him, not ghosts. Thankfully, I wrote this other play that has nothing to do with me, (laughs) but does have angels in it. (laughs) Everyone's like, all right, we love it. And that's a whole other three and a half pages is like how many people come to the Beaufort Playhouse to see this Christmas play every so it's, year. So it's not put on at the church. Like this is a community theater event. It used to be, but then it got oh. too big to be played at the church. <laughs> got too commercial. I hate when that happens. Hegbert also feels that professional actors can't do this role. He only wants high school seniors. Gross. <laughs> That's super gross. Correct opinion is correct. Yes. Whoa. It is not normal. What? Like, this goes back to, like, the wire 15-year-old saving all the universes. Like, why does it need to be a high school kid? I mean, you could, you could charitably, you could say that Hegbert or whatever his name is, <laughs> is just trying to find new talent every year. Well, here's what and, Langdon has to say. Okay, oh, great. I reckon he thought it would be good learning experience before the seniors headed off to college and came face to face with all the fornicators. The fornicators? <laughs> hmm. The fornicators. So, that's, a, just, that's a good punk rock band. Hegbert and the one. fornicators. Hegbert and the fornicators? <laughs> yeah, I think I've seen them. Ten Ten would listen. <laughs> So okay. this year is a big deal because his oh. daughter, Jamie, who, again, this play is not about, Mm-mm. is finally a senior in high school. Great. So she is obviously the angel in the play. Uh, I was going to say, like, I was going to ask if she was going to get to play a ghost, and then I forgot that Hegbert hates ghosts, so it's cool. She's an angel, of course. She is in many ways. We are told often. 
Oh, good. Okay. So is Landon like, he's like, this is a great plan. I love theater. I love angels. Get Sign me up. He is super not down for the cause. Let me just tell you, this Landon kid. Not a team player. Um, Jamie makes this big deal of asking for his help. There is a lead cast already. Eddie Jones. This Eddie Jones kid, he's a stutterer. Mm. Okay, I was going to ask what the one word that Sparks uses to define his entire existence is, and I guess it's stutterer. Stutterer. Sure is. And it's not Jamie- hefty or anything <laughs> like that. It's stutterer. Yeah. So, i.e., he's a messy fuck-up, and <laughs> Jamie doesn't want him in the play. So, <laughs> she asks this Babely Landon kid who she whose life she saved at the dance or whatever um, to be the lead. And he's like, I don't want to. But then his conscience was like, dude, you gotta. Mm. And then he does. Okay. I think it's basically. And does he do yeah. a good job? So no. Oh. <laughs> right. He doesn't take it seriously. And you know, shots of, we can call them shots, but they're like chapters or whatever, are interspersed throughout the telling of the story. It's like, oh yeah, we were going to rehearsal and I hated it and I wasn't very good at it, but I was still doing it. And he's still hanging out with Jamie, but he doesn't really know why. Mm. He's like walking her home after rehearsals and they're talking, but they're not really having conversations. She's just being like, I am a good person and I love my Bible. And he's like, damn, girl. You do love your Bible. You are a good person. <laughs> Yo, Jamie, Word. you pray every day. That's wild. So, but we don't, but we are told she's a good person, save for the puke cleaning and that one fight, I guess she broke up. We don't have evidence to support that claim. Well, she does spend a lot of time at the town orphanage. Um, what? Oh, we didn't tell you about the orphanage? There's this orphanage, right? And that is like the happening spot for Jamie Sullivan. Oh, boy. Good. So she goes there and she reads to these orphans. And I think early on in the book, she brings Landon. um, Which I'm sure he loved. Mm -hmm. So he hates it. (laughs) Man. What a bad boy. He sees all the kids love her and he's like, oh, that's kind of cool or whatever. But thinks nothing of it. Okay, but cool. His his big moment falling in love with Jamie happens at the orphanage on Christmas mm. Eve. Mm. So the orphanage is kind of important in that way. But that's like also the only way we know that Jamie is a good person. Okay. She volunteers at the orphanage, always has a Bible, she's nice to her dad. Has a bun. And has a bun. Yeah. Which he hates again. Hates that button. Just wanted to be hates clear. It. Now, wow. is there, are they like, do they like each other? Are they getting along? Is there like, man, I can't believe you carry that Bible anywhere if you won't take out your bun? Are they combative or are they friendly? They have, they have a fight at one point, um, which doesn't really count as a fight because, as we have established, Jamie isn't a person, so she's not capable of that. Um, sure. Right. Yeah. But Landon lashes out at her. For just like being Christian and embarrassing, I guess, and yeah, like in like, public oh, with him. Cardigans, how dare you? <laughs> Stop. 
Can you stop looking like the most likely to succeed girl in library school for two seconds, Jamie? <laughs> she can't, turns okay. out. So she's very hurt. Um, but no, they don't have, they can't have a, yeah. she's not a person. She's yeah. only defined by her relationship with Langdon and with her relationship with her father, Hegbert, which is regular type, apparently. Okay. Yeah. And the day after they have this fight is the opening night of the play. And mm. Landon feels really bad. And he's like, man, I got to say I'm sorry before the play. And he's like, yo, I'm super sorry. And then she's just like, okay, that's fine. Good. And that was the extent of their conversation. And then they do the play. And it's the first time that Landon sees Jamie in full angel regalia. The, the bun is no longer. The bun is gone. She took out the bun. She took out the bun. And it's the first time he nails the delivery of his line, you're beautiful to the angel. <laughs> Scrooge never said that, though. This I isn't know. a Christmas carol, Craig. It's changed. It's not. It's totally not an remember autobiographical that, that version awesome of the Christmas carol. In a Christmas carol where Scrooge hooked up with a ghost. Yeah, that's my favorite part. Yeah, where he fucks a ghost. That's. <laughs> that is I love a different that vibe. It's mm-hmm. a very different vibe. I'm the ghost of Christmas came. That's what I am. Oh, no. Wow. You no. jerk. I, I hate know. you. <laughs> I yeah. love it so much. <laughs> Never yeah. change. I mean, if, she, if she's got a bun, it ain't no fun. That's what, what I always say. <laughs> <laughs> what aren't we saying? <laughs> so, okay. So, she's a beautiful angel. He's now on board with her. How does this proceed? So, then their next thing. It's like, oh, we'll do this beautiful Christmas play for the orphans. And mm. they go with this great idea to the orphaner- orphanage dude. The orphaner? <laughs> yeah. I'm sure it's not orphaner. But you got to get sure them orphans somehow. <laughs> and they're like, would it be great if we did this play for the kids? And the guy's like, well, it would probably hurt their feelings because it's like, about a dad and his daughter and like an angel and it might make them feel sad because they're orphans and they don't have mm-hmm. a family <laughs> and they're like mm, word I hear that so then they decide they're going to make this Christmas Eve the most special Christmas Eve that the orphans have ever seen oh no and Jamie has put cans to collect money all around the town like all year and she asked Langdon for his help to collect them and then he counts the money and he feels so bad because there's like $30 or whatever mm-hmm. in like literally 60 cans across town like all just year soup, just soup cans like on the street no like in you know restaurants your coffee shops I'm sure like, like a tip jar yeah okay sure okay so he gets this and he feels so bad he's like oh man and there's this whole extended thing about how he, because of he was a bad boy, used to put like paper clips and slugs in the jars to like be like, haha, Jamie Sullivan. <laughs> Give this up to these the orphans. Paper clips. Yeah. But now that he's seen the orphans, he feels really bad. So he obviously donates all the money in like his savings account. He cashes in a, like a CD or whatever. I'm not sure. <laughs> Something financial happens. And then there's like a whole extra $200. I'm glad that Sparks told us that he was a bad boy because I'm not getting bad boy from like this this young lad who 
who has the savings account at the bank downtown. Like, what are you talking about? He's the least bad boy ever. Yeah. Uh, He also comes from money, which is an important, I guess, detail. He makes it seem like it's important, but like it it becomes more important. Because Jamie's dad, Hegbert Sullivan, the minister hates Landon because they have he has some sort of blood feud with Landon's grandfather who was like mm-hmm. an bad... evil tycoon of some sort. Yeah. I don't know. He was like a sh- bad sharecropper and like basically like did the 08 recession but by himself in the 50s. I don't know. It was crazy. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So they get this money because Langdon is so nice and he's seen a difference in himself and he saw, you know, the hair down, feels the whole way. And he donates all of his 200 pennies or $200 or whatever. <laughs> and he gives Same. it to Jamie and she's super happy and she's like, oh, we're going to have the best orphanage Christmas Eve ever. And they bought all of the orphans millions of presents. And it is on that night and she again has her hair down. And he's like, wow, I love Jamie Sullivan. Hmm, and the okay. crowd kind of goes, what? Yeah. Like, do you? Yeah. Just... He has like six conversations <laughs> about literally nothing. Sure. I just, I don't feel like we can judge their relationship based on the conversations they've had because it just doesn't sound like Nicholas Sparks can write a conversation between two human beings. <laughs> it's not high on the list. It's not high on the list of skills. Uh-huh. Do you guys want to know what they give each other for Christmas? It's amazing. I, the, the um, gifts. Okay, a watch fob and, <laughs> and a comb, right? And, yeah. Well, he she gives him her Bible and he gives her his peanuts. Wait, what? Okay, so you're half right. Oh, snap. <laughs> Craig is MVP. <laughs> so Jamie gives Landon her Bible. Of course. And Landon gives her a cardigan. Stop. <laughs> a new cardigan. Because she always wears the same beat up brown cardigan. So he gives her a new one. It's a pretty pink one. And she says, thank you. I will wear it the next time I see you. Because she's a regular person. <laughs> <sighs> Is that, I guess I would, if someone gave me clothes... I would think no, about that's, wearing that's like, it. That's what you do when your grandma gives you a sweater that you're like pretty lukewarm on yeah. is like, oh, I'll wear this <laughs> next time I see her. So she thinks that I wear it all the time and that'll make her feel good. It's the same sort of approach, I think. Yeah. Key is leaving the tag on so that she knows <laughs> how often you wear it. Mm-hmm. So this is when he realizes he's in love because he gave her a card again, as one does. When they're in love. Yeah. Yeah. We've all received the cardigan of love. (laughs) For sure. Figurative sometimes, but yeah, it's it's always there. And then what happens? Oh, Do they just like embark on a relationship? No, because I want to be clear. We did bury the lead a little bit. When he (laughs) asks her to the dance, she says, you cannot fall in love with me. And he's like, love with you? With that bun? (laughs) (laughs) So then he tells her, I'm in love with you. And then she cries a lot and says, I told you not to fall in love with me. 
He's like, what is the deal? I thought this was regular love. He just like Seinfeld's around for a while. Yeah. <laughs> um, it's not but, regular love. But they have like a little bit of a relationship, right? Like she comes to his Christmas dinner, like with his mom. They have like Christmas Eve until New Year's. Like, it's like yeah. the New Year's dinner. Sure. She's like, I told you not to fall in love with me. Yeah. Okay. Has she told like, him why yet? Not just yet. Mm-hmm. They have to have their few happy times, and then you hit him with that tragedy. Ah. Uh, she so, puts her hair back up. So he starts to notice, oh, she seems skinnier, but not in a hot way. Oh. I'm confused. That cardigan is bigger than it was on her mm-hmm. before. Mm-hmm. Yeah. She seems okay. tired. She has these like weird bruises. He's like, what is the deal with Jamie and the bruises? <laughs> I'm in love with you. This weird. I'm in love. Right. So they have this whole thing. They go to dinner on New Year's Eve. He tells her he's in love with her. She like starts crying. She can't be. And there's this dramatic scene. She's like, I have leukemia. And I will be dead by the end of this. Summer, or oh, summer sentence, whatever. Mm-hmm. So, <laughs> summer, s- <laughs> tomorrow. She's not getting better. <laughs> is the message? Oh, okay. So, as typical in a Nicholas Sparks book, the problem here is not that Jamie is going to die; is that Langdon is going to be sad once Jamie is dead. <laughs> so it like, immediately becomes about how do I deal with being in love with somebody who is dying. Hmm. Which is real fun to read. Yeah, I wonder, like, how much better could this book have been if it were from her point of view? Just, like, flat out. I mean, there would be a lot of talk about her putting up that bun, I guess. But that simple relationship issue would be way different, right? Yeah. I don't know. Like, this this scans to me. Like, Craig, if you told me that you had a terminal illness, I would be like, I'm so sorry. How does this affect me? (laughs) And then that's what the rest of my day would be about. It's just like sorting that out. I mean, as the Andrew of the duo. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm glad that you have mapped our friendships the exact same way that I did earlier today. Oh, I'm obviously the Andrew. Andrew, me, some robots, having no feelings, killing it. Are you an Andrew or a Craig? Take our quiz. <laughs> Meanwhile, me and Craig are just leaving cabinets open, eating yep. weird God, shit. You oh my <laughs> God! I <laughs> I could hear. So okay, we mentioned earlier the the recent episode of the Hotties where Camille confesses a lot of food crimes, and just listening to you rate her deviance and take her to task sounded like seventy five percent of the things that Andrea said to me. <laughs> In a real loving way, but a stern way. When there's a kinship, just, there's a kinship. Yeah, we just tell it like it is, is what we're about. Like, you you guys you guys need someone like that in your lives, or else you're just going to be walking around eating buttered tortillas and leaving cabinets open for oh the rest God, of Oh, my God, it was like one time. time. Four t- <laughs> You know how many times, times I have I have done that? None times. One time is, is too many times. Well, how will you ever reach your potential if you don't press your limits. Yep. Mm-hmm. What Instagram coat ass <laughs> bullshit? 
Is that a new DJ Khaled clip that I have not seen? Yeah. <laughs> Maybe I saw it embroidered on a pillow at Home Goods. Doesn't uh, make it not true. Sure, sure, sure. <laughs> so she tells him about leukemia. She's going to die. He is processing. She does the whole, you're dying, Satine. You know, if this is Moulin Rouge, which is a different film. But <laughs> she definitely does some, like, coughing. And it's like, when? <laughs> like, she is definitely when and coughing. Does he get like, aside from oh man, you have some bruises and you're kind of tired? Does he get a firsthand look or experience of what she's dealing with? Does he have to like help her through some shit? Yes, and okay. this is this is also how Jamie fixed his relationship with his father. Because he has to go to his parents and be like, oh, I love this girl. She's dying. It's real sad. And his mom's like, word, that is real sad. And then she calls his dad in Washington and is like, you better get back here. Your son is suffering. Mm. And then he does come back. And he cries on his dad's shoulder. It's this whole thing. But his dad ends up getting her like a nurse and like a state-of-the-art hospice care in her house. She wants to die at home. Yeah, he just throws a ton of that congressman money at the problem. And it's like, I can't keep you from dying. Like, that's for sure going to happen still. But at least you can be surrounded by your favorite Cardis. Um, right. You'll be in cardigans for life. Well, and right. I'm sure this is going over real well because Hegbert hates his dad, right? And it's like, so there's oh. like one scene where his mom calls Hegbert and is like, whatever. Your little girl's going through something, and my son loves her. And like, bury the hatchet. Accept our money. Whatever. And Hegbert's like, word. I, I hear that. Checks out. True F. <laughs> and, but that's like the only conversation we have about it. Okay. Don't talk about it further. Because again, you're asking for like a lot of character development, which we don't get. Sparks is interested. All right, cool. He's yeah. So Jamie's just like in this bed, super dying. They read the Bible together. Every night. Every night they read the Bible together. All of the people who were mean to her in high school were like, yo, but we didn't realize you had cancer. I'm hella sorry. And they come and like say that to her. (laughs) Um, Cool. And she forgives them. Yeah. Because she's such a good person. Because she's the perfect person. Sure, yeah. At a certain point, Landon, he just feels so lost because this person that he has arbitrarily decided to love is dying. And he's like, well, what do I do? He prays, he prays. The result is let's get married. That's the answer. I do want to take a moment (laughs) and talk about how Langdon says he knows what love is. Mm. This is a conversation Langdon and Jamie have. How did you know it was love? She asked me. I watched the breeze gently moving her hair. And I knew that it was no time to pretend I was something that I actually wasn't. Well, I said seriously, you know it's love when all you want to do is spend that time with the other person. And you sort of know the other person feels the same way. That's it. (laughs) Wait, what would he have said that would be, like, not true to himself? What was it? What's the... (laughs) And she treats it like it's so deep. Jamie thought about my answer before smiling softly. I see. 
Okay. What? Okay. Good talk. Yeah, that was the end of that sentence. <laughs> no, that that sounds like the made-up thing that you would tell somebody when you didn't want to tell her. Yeah, I knew that I loved you because I got totally boned when you took your hair down. You couldn't like, even commit to saying you know that the other person feels the same way. You have to say you sort of know that the other person feels the same way. Anyway, they're seventeen. They get married. She's dying. Yeah. That's yeah. the plan. And. We're supposed to think this is a good plan because earlier on in the book, Jamie tells Landon that that's her highest ambition is to get married in the church in their town and have the church be like really full of people and like mm-hmm. everyone like loving her and stuff. Yeah. And he's Woman like, in the fifties checks out again. Yeah. So is they get it, married. Is, oh, it, what is it? Yeah. Is it like marriage? Cause she wants to be with someone or is it marriage because like her dad, dad's a minister and church is important and this is a really important thing that you do at church that like validates my devotion to this faith that sounds way too complex what i want to know like is she like i want marriage for the romantic part or does it sound earnest when she's like we need to be at the church because that's who i am and that's what's up no no to all of those somehow. Oh, int- <laughs> wow. He's real evasive. He avoided all the credit I tried to give him. That's great. Like, no she, agency. Okay. When Negative she first agency. says it, you're like, okay, whatever, Bible girl. Of course you want to get married in church and like, that's your thing. And then when he finds out she's dying, you're like, oh, did you just want someone to love you? But you never know because she's not enough of a person to make that distinction. Sure. Okay. There's just no way to know. Okay. If she hadn't been dying, she would have had a different goal. Yeah. We don't know. I think that's what we're supposed to think. And I mean, this sounds like a glaring omission of agency because this is ostensibly like one of your main characters, but no one else in the book has any sort of like character development or background outside of their profession. Like everyone is their profession. Okay. Okay, it, sounds, it sounds like he's the most comfortable with people who can be summed up in a word, which mm-hmm. is which like sucks. But. Yeah, priest, congressman, stutterer, hefty, hefty girl, mm-hmm. yeah. graveyard, mom. graveyard, peanut eater, creepo. <laughs> That's a couple of words, but I'll take it. I'll take it. I'll take it. Well, he's the main character who, so he's got to be gets, more gets complex. Than more. He them, yeah. isn't. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> is the problem. Okay. So how does this marriage, like, is this going to happen? Is this going to go well? Um, Three and a half weeks. She's going to die. She's, like, real dying by the time they get married. Like, it's, like, yeah, touch and go. She does manage to walk down the aisle. Ah. A walk to remember. Remember. Yeah. Uh, I was going to ask when the titular walk to remember happened. Nice. Late title card. Yeah. It's really late. Like in the last three pages of the book. And this walk to remember takes place with Jamie wearing that same white dress that she wore in the play for some reason. Because it's the only white dress that she had. That like fit. But he makes a point of saying that it doesn't fit because she lost so much weight. So it's like, whatever then. Put her in a robe that's white. Like why does she have to wear this angel dress? Doesn't matter. But Landon is very clear that like she's still hot. She's just like, whoa, like way skinny. 
but hot though because the bun is gone is why <laughs> yeah no bun no bun yeah so she takes her walk to remember and then she has to sit down mm. for like the vows and stuff yeah. and her father Hegbert the minister officiates and I got so excited because Hegbert says I can't I can't give my daughter away and I'm like oh it's because she's a person and you can't give a person away <laughs> But no, it was like a way different vibe. He couldn't give her away because she was so special. But what I can do is let you, Landon Carter, share in the joy that she has given me, her father. Ooh, that's it's a creepy vibe. Mm-hmm. He can't give like her away guy. because she is so much a part of him. Couldn't give her away. But... You, young man, can delight in the spoils of knowing my daughter, biblically, maybe? Uh, it's oh. nasty. It's bad. Uh. I can't give my daughter away. I gotta cast only seniors in the play forever. Show me the next crop of seniors. Gotta, gotta look at them real good. Gotta figure out the ones that's gonna be the angels. God, this guy, Hegbert, Egbert, whatever is. <laughs> Ugh, I hate all these people. I hate all of them. I just can't articulate how much I hate them all. It's a correct opinion. It's a correct so, opinion. So as as you both indict the marriage in this book or the wedding in this book, how do you feel about them in general though? Like as a a thing that people do and people invest time in. in Marriages? Yeah. Weddings. Fine. Wow. Yeah. This one specifically, it seems gross, though. This one is between two pointless 17-year-olds. That's gross. Uh, yeah. Okay. Just check. Might yeah. as well marry two cardboard cutouts to each other. That term appears throughout my notes. Just cardboard <laughs> cutout people. I put mm. it on the top of one of my... Yeah. Everyone is cardboard. <laughs> Nothing is sense or plot. Sure. Like, somehow. And this got turned into a movie. Yeah. Well, yeah. which again is better than the book. Mm. So I mean, it sounds like better. it would be hard to. How much? Yeah. How much like more? You is... have to show not tell stuff in a movie That's sometimes true. because it's a visual medium. So it would have to be better, right? right. How much? Is an actual badass in the movie. Mm. And Jamie yeah. is kind of a person in the movie. She also, is. she struggles she is kind with of a stuff. person. Yeah. Um, High praise. How <laughs> much? left of the book you know how much more of the book is there after their after the walk that she Epilogue, remembers i believe or the last do we chapter? travel back into the future we do okay and we, we have the almanac yep wait wait, wait. Mm-hmm. i want to be clear so they get married it was oh. as landon remembers the most wonderful moment of his life mm-hmm. two more paragraphs the end there is no oh. epilogue it's two paragraphs so, so d- what happened yeah. to her? Unclear. Nicholas Sparks has written ex- extensively on his website about this, that he left the ending of the book ambiguous. So if you think that Jamie died, she died. But he likes to think that she lived. That doesn't sound like the book he wrote, though. Yeah, like the whole rest of the book is so aggressively unambiguous about like everything and everyone all the time 
that seems like a cop out to do that right at the very end. Well, I mean, he is a cop out. (laughs) (laughs) All right, then. Okay. He's also apparently writing a sequel. I saw that. What is that garbage? (laughs) Right. And he's like, oh, it's oh, it's real tough to write a sequel because I have to honor the book and the film. No, you don't just write a book. Yeah. Another walk to remember. Just and a walk just, to remember in the shade. Oh, 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 I got, I got, I got a walk to remember with the number two in Stop it. Stop it. Get out. <laughs> a walk, also never leave. A walk to remember. Another lap. A lap around. <laughs> but so dumb. <laughs> I love it so much. Oh, that's so great. So I don't think anyone is like saying read yeah. this book. Because mm. don't. I mean, you could. It would take you literally forty-five minutes. <laughs> okay. <laughs> it's so short. So short. But so what's so what is the why did a lot of people read this book? Is right. why do people what? continue reading his work? Yeah, it was like it was right. late nineteen ninety. It was nineteen ninety-eight when this book came out. Mm-hmm. Um, it obviously like his work continues to sell and make a lot of money for him and maybe other people. Who knows? Um. Like, what about this book, if anything, succeeds so that people would open it or pick it off a shelf or decide, let's make a movie out of this? I mean, I think the big selling point for romance novel novels as a genre is that they are predictable. Sure. You like that. It's like comfort food, like your, your favorite comfort TV show, whatever. You know what you're going to get when you spend your $5 in the line at the grocery store. Okay. Same thing with Nicholas Sparks. This is his fourth book, right? So the formula is well in place. You know, yeah. there's going to be like, whatever, let's have a relationship, whatever. I don't even know. The f- formula is unclear to me, but it is formulaic for sure. <laughs> sure. Um, well, and their relationship I, sounds pretty chaste also. Like, is that? Yeah. So this is like a big thing about Nicholas Sparks is that he does not like, he, like Hegbert, does not like a fornicator. (laughs) And all of the relationships in his books, and again, I've read three of them, I think. Okay. Whatever. It doesn't matter. But they all, like, have this big build-up to a kiss, and then Mm. there's, like, a marriage, and the marriage is very chaste. So there's Mm. not any kind of real sexual feeling in any yeah. of his books. That sucks. It is not No, why no, I it doesn't it novels. doesn't suck, Andrew, at all. That's the that's no, the I'm, problem. <laughs> okay. Ah, thank you. Boo, but um my my, my dumb Good joke job. was better. <laughs> I think you're doing a great job, buddy. Thanks, friend. <laughs> Palo Alto of mine. <laughs> I love that actually. I love Palo, Palo Alto, Alto a lot. Yeah. So stupid. <laughs> uh, T motherfucking Y. There's this great interview in GQ with Nicholas Sparks. That's where I would go. That's where I would go to read about him. I would go to GQ. I would suggest that you do. Oh, okay. Because it is hilarious and weird. (laughs) And it's trying to get to the why he's so popular with women, right? It's like GQ being like, here's this guy who writes romance novels but looks great in jeans. (laughs) What's his allure? And it, like, he writes very, about a very specific place, right? He always writes about the same sleepy southern town 
Yep. He always writes about the same kind of gruff, withholding man yep. who, like, needs to learn how to feel because of a woman. Uh-huh. And this, for some people, is, like, a comforting pattern in romance. Yeah. And and I was going to say, like, like all the emotions in, in this book sound really... Uh, manufactured and like surface level and but but some people like I can't relate to this because I am a robot but a lot of people respond to that kind of stuff like they when they are emotionally manipulated in that specific way they respond the way that that they are like supposed to respond so I, I guess if people read these books and get that out of it like I can't I guess I can't hold that against them. I can hold that against Nicholas Sparks for not being a better writer, but I don't want to tell people like not to feel a way about their dumb cardboard cutout marriage. That's kinda, you know, yeah. Yeah, that's that's what I wanted to ask. Is that it, earlier we were remarking as we're we're kind of going to wind down in a second, but earlier we were remarking on just the quality of the prose, like in the trenches, seems pretty poor. Um, from your from your earlier remarks, the, the trenches is is apt. I think. <laughs> Down uh, there in the word mines, yeah. just like keeping an eye on that canary. Oh, the whole time. it is. It's been dead. They propped it up weekend at Bernie style. Um, <laughs> but they uh, the, <laughs> the 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 like plot points and the predictable like oh this particular relationship will change this cardboard person in this mm-hmm. way that I wish I could maybe affect a person in my life. That, mm-hmm. that has a truth to it that might be a little uh, greater than the bad prose or the lazy narrative structure, which might, ex- I don't know, to me that there seems like there's two different things to complain about. And one is like, just Nicholas Sparks's like aesthetic and what his v- feelings about people are uh, that informs this book, but also just like what you were saying, the fact that he doesn't know how to develop a character, at least as this book provides evidence. Is, right. Yeah. Is that I mean, disconnect, I think, you know? I think you could make the argument that, now this is giving Nicholas Sparks a lot of credit, but let's throw Which him We said we bone. weren't going to do, but um, just this once. So maybe the characters are so bland to leave space for the reader, right? Sure. Mm-hmm. So that you can then step in more readily, imagine yourself as a bund librarian, Bible carrying, whatever. Yeah. Maybe. Well, yeah. I think that's a pretty common defense of like Twilight and some other yeah. like pop lit that gets looked down upon like from, from literary circles is that there's room for like character insertion in there. So I like, I don't, I don't know if I buy that particular explanation, but it is like, it is there. It's the appeal of, of anything that is similar to a soap opera or the mm-hmm. kind of character archetypes of a comic book where you're like, yeah. I don't, I don't like that character because they grow. I like that character because they're the character that I know already. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I can, there's predict, a definite comfort there. I can predict yeah. their behavior and derive pleasure from knowing how their story is going to end and then it does the way I expected in the same way that I like how the song I remember and know all the words to ends the way I expected to. I, I agree. I will say, again, in this bonkers GQ interview, he has this to say about his writing. Plot comes later. I begin with the characters. Oh. 
And the characters no. begin with honesty. You have to be honest when you're writing fiction. You have to find a way to keep your characters honest to who they are, even when they're behaving in ways that are out of the ordinary. How do I do that? Once I have a character, I sit there and ask a thousand questions. How would you behave in this situation? Or if someone said this? That's how they become real to me, and I hope other people. Man, I'm just, I'm imagining Nicholas Sparks, like, notebook. And he just got on one page, he's got hefty written with three question marks after it and like underlined twice. He also and doesn't like be called a romance novelist. At least he didn't in 2014. Sure. Because what he does says, he prefer? Romance novels have a specific form, specific arcs, and endings that the characters have to follow. The characters in my books begin and end with authenticity, which is the difference between drama and melodrama. Which is hilarious because it's the exact opposite of all of his books. <laughs> I can't believe he said that out loud to like another person with like a straight face. I'm a reporter nonetheless. I'm not even Maybe. mad. I'm just impressed. Yeah, like is he trolling? <laughs> is he trolling all of chef. us for like decades? Because that's masterful. That's like master level trolling. Yeah. I do, this also JQ interview was written like three weeks before the racist, homophobic, anti-Semitic comments are made in 2014, mm-hmm. which is a fun lens to go back and read that with. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, it's, it's just a lot of, that article specifically is a lot of talking about like what women like about him and like how we create that and like how we can find that, and, like how men can replicate it. And it just gives him so much credit of being like, oh, he's so mm-hmm. cool. He really gets it. He really gets ladies. Yeah, that's a really. I think I'm having a stroke. Yeah. (laughs) No, I know. (laughs) It's bad news, Paris. That's a very specific lens in which to consider anything he's saying to that interviewer, right? You put that interview in Rolling Stone, you put that interview in Time, and there's a different expectation of who's reading it. So, like, the. Like what? There's a weird. You just implied a weird utility of that article that I hate, which is like, how can you be like Nicholas Sparks? How can uh, help you as a dude? He has so much money. He has so much money. He does. Yeah. that sucks. That's Nicholas upsetting. Sparks production is worth like three quarters of a billion dollars. <laughs> yeah. He. Yeah. His movies, like combined, have made that much money. It's absurd. Cool. Yeah. Great, good talk. Great. I feel positive. Feel really yeah. life. <laughs> it's ending on a really good note, I think. Is there is there anything we enjoyed in this book that we can like hang our hat on as we go out and like smile a little Maybe bit? Maybe Moore's performance in the yeah. film. Yeah. Yeah. There you go. Which is on Netflix. Good. Yes. Missing her like um, candy. Where's she been? She's around. Is she? Yeah. She got divorced from her husband recently. Ish. If you Google Mandy Moore 2016, which I did um, after you Just guys now. started talking about the movie, she's around. Like she's she's around. Oh, good for her being around. Good work, Mandy. <laughs> I didn't think she was like an Azkaban guy. Like, I thought she was like around. The darkest timeline. Mandy Moore goes to Azkaban. Ten Ten would read that book. Well, if 
any of our listeners... That's the, that was the prisoner the whole time. If any of our listeners have seen Mandy Moore recently and they would like to let us know how she is... Just ask like, her if she's okay. Yeah, ask her how she is. Take like a video of her and like have her like tell us that she's fine and send it to us at overduepod at gmail.com. You can like post your Instagram videos on Twitter or Facebook and then send them to us at twitter.com slash overdue pod and facebook.com slash overdue pod. If you want to send it to uh, Camila Christina, ladies, where should they send their Instagram videos of Mandy Moore? <laughs> they should, they could send us a carrier pigeon at the okay. black hotties at gmail.com. Um, you can yell at us about cans that you've left around town for local <laughs> orphans um, on Twitter um, we are there at the Black Hotties, and individually, um, I'm at that Blazing Girl. I'm C underscore Grace T. Cool, cool. We are and- on Facebook, I guess. Yeah, like <laughs> the web and stuff, and I iTunes. don't know if you have to like be like, oh, I gotta message my auntie back on Facebook because she likes Facebook. <laughs> We're also the Black Hotties there. Find us. Yeah. Cool. Andrew, if folks want to find out more about our show, where should they go? Um, folks can go to OverduePodcast.com where we have iTunes and Stitcher and RSS links and all that good stuff. Um, if you subscribe in iTunes, do rate and review us. Uh, we got one a couple weeks back that said that we were a great podcast for teens. And we kind of have made fun of it in a way that I sort of hope that the reviewer hasn't seen. Well, if they still listen... If they still listen to the show, then we're totally busted. But we are the number one podcast for teen adults. Stay away. Mm-hmm. Adults stay away. Uh, up there on that website, we also have links to HeadGum, our podcast network, Spreaker, our podcast host, to our Patreon project, which you can use to give us money because obviously we deserve it. Mm-hmm. Like think of us as orphans in a small North Carolina town. Please do. I just like to enter into the record. We all did the same head tilt. <laughs> <laughs> is that what we yes. mean is this Andrew? where we're going with that okay cool cool okay. cool thanks for making me complicit in what you just said yep 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 <laughs> uh and definitely go check out the unfriendly black hotties download them on itunes or podcast wherever you get them i don't know how you do that but i'm not here to dictate how you get podcasts yeah if you found us you can find them andrew i think that's it yeah, Ladies, that's it. thank you so much for joining us, and thanks for reading this book that sounds like it was so much fun. <laughs> Literally took an hour, so it was fun. Yeah. <laughs> Got some great snarky notes going. It's fabulous. Awesome. Thanks Good. for letting us come and yell at you about it. Yeah, it was no, great No, it was super you. fun. Yeah. I think Friends. that's it. Friends. Friends. Probably Podcast was. pals. Take us out, Andrew. <laughs> All right, everyone. Uh, we'll be back next Monday. Until then, please try to be happy. That was a HeadGum Podcast.